HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers. Learn more at square.com slash go slash in the sauce. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today I'm speaking with Nicole Centeno, founder and CEO of Splendid Spoon, the online meal delivery company that offers ready-to-eat, nourishing, plant-based smoothies, soups, and grain bowls. Splendid Spoon has been featured in Goop, The Wall Street Journal, and New York Magazine, among many others, and has loyal customers in every state of the U.S. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you for having me. We've been um, trying to do this for a while, but a little (laughs) pandemic got in the way. Um, Silly. Yeah, just, just the old pandemic yeah. went through. <laughs> um, so before we get into anything, how are you? Where are you? What's going on in your life? Yeah, I mean, I am so many different life experiences kind of co- have coincided, yeah. I guess, for all of us with the pandemic. Um, yeah. And I also happened. So one of them for me was welcoming my third baby and first daughter, Charlotte, you know, March I was 13th. wondering, I was, I, I, cause when we met, you were pretty pregnant and I was like, Hmm, I wonder if she had her baby during the lockdown and yep. you did. Wow. Yep. What was that like? That must've been crazy. It, so in a way it was exactly as I expected it because I was planning a home birth. So in okay. that sense, like it was, I felt very, I felt ahead of the curve in that. Yeah. Like I had one of my investors actually texted me a few days before uh, and asked if I had if I had second like backup plans because the hospitals were going to be in bad shape. And I felt like as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, (laughs) that is my first plan is to not leave the house. Um, Right. So that was like quite a blessing and um being it was my third baby went really really well um right. so that was very grateful for all of that 
Um, yeah. And it's also like a nice silver lining to have kids. I, I mean, I have, as you know, I have two little boys who are five yeah. and seven and having a newborn is, it just gives you something really beautiful to look forward to yes. every day yes. and their sense of optimism and um, it, it's just, yeah, the innocence. <laughs> it's really yeah. a wonderful thing. Yeah, so. no, well, congratulations. Um, that's lovely. And so you've been, have you been, would you say working full-time and also parenting full-time or have you sort of been able to take a little (laughs) bit of a break? (laughs) I mean, so yeah, I had planned to take, um, maternity leave of some sort. Um, I mean, as you know, like running your own business, you don't really take maternity leave the same way that you would if you were maybe, you know, working for a big company. But, um, I did plan on cutting back my hours quite significantly. Uh, but because she was born on the 13th and we, you know, we just, we gave everyone work from home man mandatory, uh, st- starting on like the 11th and right. there were just all these shifts in the environment and with our customers that we had to really pay attention to. So I didn't, the first couple of weeks, I really didn't take any time off. I was working right. quite a bit. Um, and then homeschool hit. <laughs> And that yeah, I mean, was the I big don't know, man. For me, yeah, I mean, I have it pretty easy in that respect because my youngest is fourteen, and everyone else is pretty self-sufficient. But mm-hmm. my friends that have little ones mm-hmm. are, I mean, it, it's crazy. And, you know, some of them are like, yeah, she just parks herself in front of the Zoom thing for whatever. And Mm. most of them are like, I'm drinking at 10 a.m. And my, you know, (laughs) I've just, I sat my kid down the other day and I'm like, here's what's going to happen. Like, you're not going to learn anything for the next three months. Like, because if you, like, if we have to choose between you learning and me being able to parent you in a way where I am sane, Right. We're just going to play. And like, I'm getting a TV and like, right. everyone's just trying to figure out how to deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I can appreciate that you are, uh, you've got a lot on your plate right now. Yeah. The homeschool situation was, was like, that was a real trip. Um, and yeah. we came out to Massachusetts as a result because my mom um, is a retired school teacher. So I was amazing, like, I'm pulling out all the stops. We're moving in yep. to my childhood bedroom. Yeah. We're going to make wow. it work. And here you um, go. Yeah. yeah. So we're making it work. And yeah, you know, it's another silver lining, like having a multi-generational household is yes. a beautiful thing. Yes. So let, let's a good segue actually, because, um, you grew up in Massachusetts Yes. Um, yes. And you, from what my research tells me, you were more of a sciencey person. Um, you studied yeah. biochem, and and is that something like? Do you remember being a little girl and wanting to be a scientist, or do you? Yeah. Do you remember I mean, what I you wanted to be? I definitely was very into the National Geographics and digging around for things in the backyard and pretending I was looking (laughs) for dinosaur bones and um, cooking to me is very, you know, it's, it's alchemy in a way um, for sure. And have always been interested in growing things and how they grow and what happens when you turn them into food. And all of that is, has always been a big, 
part of who I am. Um, and so studying biology and biochemistry was uh, pretty natural for me, I would say, in that sense. Right. And then when you graduated from school, did you go into science or were you kind of brought out of that and decided to do something different? Yeah. I mean, as many college graduates do, especially in the States, I decided I did not want to do that, (laughs) what I had spent four (laughs) years studying. Um, So yeah, I had spent a lot of time in a lab working with a PhD candidate and looking at uh, diet therapies as treatment for epilepsy. And we were published in nutrition and metabolism and was planning to get, you know, further my degrees. And then I decided, no, I want to move to New York and uh, (laughs) I'm going to work (laughs) in media. And I got a job at Condé Nast and I had a completely different experience, um, which, you know, it's just, it's all of that uh, sort of openness that's wonderful about your youth if, if you have the freedom to, to do that. Um, and I, I chose to go that path. Um, yeah. I mean, you're not the first guest who I've had on who I think for many of us, even, you know, until very recently and you're younger than I am, but I would guess even in sort of your age cohort, like there wasn't, it didn't feel at least like there were that many career opportunities in food. Right. You know, it felt like if you were going to be a chef, you were going to be a chef. Right. And if you loved food and you wanted to participate kind of in like the food world, um, there weren't a lot of careers in food that felt at least, you know, accessible unless you wanted to be a chef. Um, right. And so it seems like maybe your foray into the food world was through food media, which was kind of the only, you know, you could write about food, you could take pictures of food, um, but the food entrepreneur wasn't necessarily something that was on a checklist of what you wanted to be when you grew up or when you graduated. And and I would guess that to some extent it is now. I mean, entrepreneurship is very different now than it was even five or 10 years ago. Definitely. Um, but Definitely. you, but you did sort of have the bug um, because at some point you decided to go to culinary school and so I guess my question is, what happened there? And were you thinking, okay, maybe I do want to be a chef or did you just want to do it for yourself or did you want to do it to sort of help you in the media world? Yeah, I mean, I think I, so when I first got into media, it was at Wired and then I also worked at The New Yorker and it was more on the business side than the editorial mm-hmm. side. And right. I did think, you know, maybe there is a career for me at Bon Appetit or at Saveur and always got excited when I was working on campaigns that involved food. And mm-hmm. I think I, I it became very clear to me that I was too far removed from what I was most passionate about. And right. the things that I fantasized about and planned for in my free time were all centered around food. It was travel to go to certain restaurants. It was going, you know... I walked around with like the Zagat book and yep. <laughs> uh, kind of checked off all of the New York restaurants that I wanted to go to. And I experimented cooking, you know, fancy things in my home kitchen and feeding people. And so right. I am very much, uh, I just believe in creating sort of like foundational skills 
around. And especially as someone who likes to color outside of the lines, like I don't love following still to this day, I only follow recipes because I'm trying to learn something. And then I right so that I can go off script, basically, you know, Um, and so going to culinary school seemed to me as kind of crazy as this sounds like a really efficient way to just make better food for myself and figure out what it was that I wanted to do with those skills in some kind of career. Um, Right. And it makes sense that, you know, the scientist in you wanted to understand, you know, because I mean, like you said, it's alchemy and it's also just like what happens when heat meets this thing, you know? Right. And I can imagine that you just wanted, if you just wanted to know pretty much. Right. And then, (laughs) but were you thinking at that point that you were going to change careers or were you just thinking there's this thing that I love and I feel really passionate about and I want to learn as much about it as I can? I mean, that's, you know, I'm only saying that kind of in a leading way because that's kind of what I did when I went back to get my master's. I didn't go Mm. to culinary school but I did go for food studies and like sustainability and food mm-hmm, systems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and there was like a little bit of anthropology and just mm. because I had this passion and this thing that I loved, I didn't have it in my, I, I couldn't imagine I had five kids at the time like doing culinary school, but there was this master's program and I had mm-hmm. no idea what was going to come out of it or if I wanted anything to come out of it. I just knew that I wanted to know everything that I could possibly know about this thing that that got me so excited. Is that similar? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it was, so it was kind of both in that, like, I, I hoped it would lead to a career in food, right? right? Because I knew that there, it it was something I was just fed by, right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like, pardon the pun, but like, it just, it was something deep in my soul that wanted to be awake all the time. Um, and, and then, yeah, it was also just that, that uncovering and just, and the discovery and the curiosity that I was able to tap into when in the kitchen, the 7,000 different yeah. ways to cook an egg. And, yeah. um, it, that was all so just, it just delighted me. I loved it. Yeah. I feel ya. So did you, so the next kind of step that happened was you started making soup. Um, was that during school or did you like, were you doing that while you were still back at your job? Like how, how did, what were the seeds now of what Splendid Spoon eventually became? Yeah. So, I mean, in that process of going to culinary school and being delighted by culinary school, um, yeah. in spite of also being tired because I was doing the night program and working at Condé Nast during the day, right. um, it was just so clear to me that this was it. Like, I had yeah. no idea how it was going to happen or when it was going to happen, but it was going to happen that I was working in right. food. And so I just started in my spare time doing whatever I could uh, to further that. And I had a pop-up at 
um, smorgasbord. You know, I had a booth at Smorgasburg. I did catering events. I tried to teach cooking lessons to my friends who preferred to drink wine and have me cook for them. Right. <laughs> yes, know. I've definitely experienced that <laughs> like as well. All, <laughs> just like all of the above, I was I was into. What were you? And- what was your booth at Smorgasburg? And like, did, what, <laughs> how, were you just like, hey, I want a booth. I'm going to make some stuff. Like, how oh did God. that even? Yes, basically. I mean, story of my career as an entrepreneur is just like, <laughs> hey, I'm, I've got, I've got a booth, and I'm going to sell some stuff. Now Anybody I got to sell some stuff, right? <laughs> um, that's I mean, like that's Ellen. Really I don't know if was. you listened to Ellen Bennett's interview on this podcast, but she basically had been like tinkering with the idea of making aprons in her mm-hmm. head, and then one day, like she was working, you know, as a cook at a restaurant and the, you know, the GM basically said, okay, we're going to, you know, we're ordering aprons. Everyone just give your size and whatever, blah, blah you want. And she was like, I have an apron company. And he was like, what? And she's like, I have an apron company. And she, she didn't have an apron company. She just, it came out. And then all of a sudden he was like, okay, well then we'll give you the orders. And then- she got the orders and that and was the beginning of Headley and Bennett. <laughs> exactly. Um, so what, what did you make for your, I mean, what, it, don't you have to yeah. fill out a thing that says I mean, like I, what I, like, you are? I so hard to that story. The apron story right. is the story of my life. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I showed up. So when I was at Smorgasburg, it was how can I bring my love for taking care of myself with food to other people? Right. Um, and so my boyfriend at the time uh, offered to help me. Uh, and so he was, you know, he was just sort of like thinking about brand names and being a supportive partner and all that stuff. Um, and I think he, it was maybe even his idea, Smorgasburg. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. Actually, it was Brooklyn Flea. Smorgasburg hadn't started yet. Right. So I was, okay. I was sort of like, trying out for Brooklyn Flea. And I literally right. just made the food that made me feel good. And it was all sort right. of like this French provincial, like st- I made a couple different stews and some homemade bread and right. some savory scones and wrapped it all up in, you know, like as if I was going over to someone's potluck right. and <laughs> um, went in and they loved it. And they were like, yeah, you know, we're actually thinking of doing this food only thing, smorgasburg. Would you be interested in that? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, okay. And you have like space. And I was like, yeah, a hundred percent totally didn't. Um, <laughs> and just, it, you know, it did you even that. have a brand? Did you have a name? Did you we have a, had comp- a did name? You, right. It was called sea bean goods, which was kind of like my, it was this very ridiculous name that was kind of like a nickname for me and for right. my boyfriend at the time and uh difficult for people to say etc cetera, etc cetera. Right. I mean that was the beginning of my tinkering which right. then became Splendid Spoon I would say right. you know like that journey to get to the light bulb moment is always so much for me at least it was so much longer than and, just waking up one morning and realizing right. oh I'm gonna make plant-based soups and then eventually move into other meal formats and right. make it D to C, yeah. you know, it's like all It doesn't, the- yeah, no one, no one, I mean, please, anyone who says that they like, I don't know, they mapped the whole thing out and they knew exactly where they were going to land. I'm like, really? Either you're delusional or you're full of it because yeah. it just, 
the life doesn't go that way. I think, you know, neither does business. Yeah. But you, um, so what happened in between the booth and getting an actual, you know, the light bulb, the, the, the actual, bulb. okay, now we are Splendid Spoon and this is what we sell yep. and this is who we sell it to and how. Yeah. So that process of, so the booth and the catering and all the side hustle was happening while I was still at Condé Nast. Mm -hmm. So there was this like element of doing two jobs at once, um, having less and less time. And then I got pregnant and Uh wanted to take better care of myself. I mean, having gone to French culinary school and living in New York City and walking around my Zagat book. I wasn't exactly right. drinking carrot juice and right. like, you know, living the salad life that a lot yes. of people live now. Um, so when I got pregnant, I was kind of like, that's interesting. I don't really eat so healthfully. And right. <laughs> for someone who cares a lot about health and has gone to culinary school, isn't it weird that I can't quite figure this out? Right, <laughs> like, right. How is anybody supposed to figure this out if I yep. can't? Um, so that was a lot of, you know, many years and life experience came together, really catalyzed by my pregnancy. Interesting. Wow. That's a theme for you too. I like, I mean, we've talked about this some, but like, I think you've been very open about the challenges of having young kids as an entrepreneur. I know that, you know, you were a single mom for, you know, some portion of this from my yeah. understanding, like, and you've been, I think, very, um, you know, candid about all of it. I do want to talk about it. I just want to get to the first purchase order though. Mm. So, mm-hmm. cause you started, because this is interesting. And I think this is where like founders, I think there are a couple of themes that run throughout pretty much every episode, no matter who it is that I'm interviewing. And one of them is really very evident here, which is like, you, you really kind of have to follow. It's like your, your, the entrepreneurship journey is kind of like sailing a boat. I am not a sailor, so I don't know if it's a really great analogy, (laughs) but my impression of it is like, you have to let the sail out enough to let the wind push the boat but you also have to be holding the sail tight enough where it's not just like wafting all over the place. And I think of it as like you knew you had a a mission of some sort, right? You knew what you wanted to do in some way, but you let the people who were interested in what you were putting out there guide you to where you were going, so yes. you were always controlling the sail, but you were letting the wind and the water also kind of direct you. Um, and I feel like when people hold too too hard onto like, no, this is my, this is how I'm doing it, and this is what's happening, that's when they fail to be creative and and fail to sort of innovate in a lot of ways. And I think that times like this, you know we all have to let a little bit of the wind out. You know, we have to loosen up on the sail and just like see how things are blowing. On the other hand, we can't completely change our businesses and our missions just because there's like these extenuating circumstances. So that's my very long-winded way of sort of getting to your first purchase order, which was not direct to consumer because that was not the original plan. 
Right. Well, right. that's a beautiful analogy. I love it. And I'm going to repeat it. I promise to credit you. It's I, I okay, totally great. agree. I think so. I mean, I've always felt like I report to and answer to my customers and yep. the market is like the weather and the environment, right? Like, yep. yes, we build these, you know, we try to do our best to create these finely tuned vehicles and uh and guide ourselves swiftly through that environment but ultimately the environment is it, we're at the mercy of the wind and the water and um yeah i think my initial thought uh based on what was happening in the space of the time was you know if you have a consumer product you go to whole foods right uh, and this was like 2012 2013 Um, you get your product on the shelf and, uh, Mm -hmm. people buy it and you prove your volume and you move to another store and you kind of scale that way. Um, and the first, uh, purchase order from Fresh Direct came, you know, another apron moment (laughs) where the buyers at Fresh Direct were at a talk that I was giving at Brooklyn. (laughs) It was actually as a Brooklyn brewery. (laughs) I was giving a talk and, um, had some of my product there for them to try. And I was cooking out of the incubator kitchen, the organic food incubator kitchen in Long Island city, which is across the street from fresh direct. So Mm -hmm. when the buyers came over to taste my soups and enjoyed them, I said, Oh, well, I'd love for you to sell them. Let me bring you some samples. Right. Did you have a logo or anything or any packaging or uh, anything? Very little. Right. Very, very little. I mean, I right. had packaging because I had a small uh, constituent of um, online orders that I was delivering by bike um, right. in the city and right. like with my hiking backpack full of soups. Um, right. And but it was from a it was a la- you know a label maker like in the oh yeah. in the incubator kitchen. It was right. nothing fancy right. at all. Right. And. I brought those samples over to Fresh Direct and they loved them and they were and still try to promote local makers and growers yep. and loved the story and loved the health angle and the plant-based angle, which at the time was very new and right. provided a lot of differentiation from their like matzo ball soup and yep. beef stew. And they were like, great, let's, let's do it. <laughs> So and so they um, put in an order. <laughs> they put in an order, and it was I was due with my first baby in the beginning of or the middle of May, I think was Grover's due date, and the PO came in in April, and I was um I was like, great, I will have deliver a baby and my first big wholesale order in you know the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why would it be any different now? Yeah. Um, We're going to take a quick break and then uh, we'll be back with more. This episode is brought to you by Square. As a small business owner, I know how challenging this time is for all of us. We're faced with challenges we've never encountered before and we're all uncertain about what's to come. Square has been working hard to help restaurants and businesses adapt by providing tools they need to be nimble and keep customers safe. One of these tools is Square Online Store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery. 
It's totally free to set up your online menu and pricing and easy to keep updated. If you're already using Square Point of Sale, you can automatically import your whole menu online. You can also start selling Square e-gift cards on your online store, so customers can show their support. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers, no matter where they are. See everything that's possible by visiting square.com slash go slash in the sauce. I'm back with Nicole Centeno, founder of Splendid Spoon. Okay, so now we want to get into like the juicy stuff because you were on a trajectory. It's 2013. Plant-based is taking off. The zeitgeist is basically, you know, sort of the natural channel. You sell, you do really well in Whole Foods and Fresh Direct, then you expand and you expand. And and you started on that tack. Um, something happened. I don't know if the water changed, the wind changed. You decided um, that that you wanted to go into a different direction. So you were very early to do direct-to-consumer, um, and very early to do direct to consumer with, you know, a product that wasn't shelf stable. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how did that go about, you know, how, what happened and, and what, what triggered it all and how did you figure yeah. it out? So I figured it out by having the door shut in my face over and over again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because where- people were like, no, we don't want fresh soup. Yeah, I mean, I, my experience with Fresh Direct, and Fresh Direct is a unique uh, partner because they are also direct to consumer, right? And they have all the benefits that a direct to consumer business has where you can test things, look at customer data, um, and change course pretty quickly. And, you know, they were, they had invested a lot into their own inventory management so that they were only purchasing what they knew they would sell. Right. Um, so they didn't have the same risk profile that most brick and mortar wholesalers have. Yeah. And when I went to the traditional brick and mortar wholesalers, it, they really kind of wanted to put me in a box of your, the local, uh, like Campbell's local fresh Campbell's or the right. healthier hail and hearty. Yeah. And it was, okay, give me one or two of your flavors and we'll see how it does. And yeah. Um, that was tough for me because my real goal was to help people get healthy and stay healthy and start building plant-based habits. And I didn't feel like I would be able to do that if I was answering to brokers and merchandisers and people who were just looking at me as sort of space on a, a, it was like real estate game. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And I wanted it to be an engagement with my customers and I really didn't know how to do that. I wasn't like, man, I got to get direct to consumer. (laughs) Well, it wasn't even really a thing then. I mean, I don't remember when Warby and Casper and all those guys kind of like started selling things directly, but people were not buying. They started buying goods that way, but they weren't really buying food that way. Right. Um, Right. Well, you know, except for like the, you know, like the weight management things, Correct. you know, like Nutrisystem and things like that. What was your shelf life at that point? Um, well, I had figured out to freeze the product at that point. Right. 
So we did have, um, I mean, it's always been somewhere between nine and 12 months frozen. And then because we were doing hot fill, it was already, it was kind of like, you know, three weeks at least fresh. The biggest challenge was actually shipping it. Um, Right. But I mean, even getting to that position of, okay, we're going to pivot into direct to consumer that it was like, I don't have anywhere else to go. I can't build this and reach people and make change happen and, and people, how they live and how they eat. If I only have a few customers through this one partner in New York city, yeah, that's not my goal. And the big inflection point was actually at the fancy food show where I had a booth the one and only year. And I was trying to hire someone in marketing and I hired, um, who would become one of my co-founders. Um, this was at year three, this was, um, the end of, or year two, I guess it was the end of 2015. And he had gone to Wharton and he had had a direct consumer men's accessories business. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we still go through this process at Splendid Spoon with the team where we say, okay, let's just take a step back and ask like, what what are the top three most important things to us? Right. What is it that our customers want? What is it that uh, we feel will really help them? And let's just get creative. Like what are the ways that we can meet that, meet that need? And right. that was the exercise that he and I went through where wholesale just wasn't going to cut it with, with where we wanted to take the business and how yeah. we wanted to impact people's lives. And he was like, let's just try. I think there's a way for us to try this direct to consumer and really scale it. And, and that's exactly what we did. And it meant saying, you know, just totally turning our backs. No on more, right? That the wholesale side of things. Well, I'm going to talk about another guest for a second because Bill Creelman came on, and he—I don't know—you know—he had a whole line of soda that was doing great, and retailers loved it. Um, and he decided to just stop that entirely and focus on the seltzers. Um, because he has this sort of thesis around like simplify to amplify. Like mm. you can't do 17 things very well. You have to mm-hmm. figure out exactly what you're trying to do and then figure out how to amplify it. And he was mm-hmm. like the soda piece, it was working, but it was taking away from what I really wanted to be doing. And it was painful and his investors weren't thrilled about it. You know, we're not only are we turning this off, but we're turning off a very successful, profitable mm-hmm. channel mm-hmm. of the business. Um, but then here's Spindrift today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So were you, did you kind of say, um, so you brought in another co-founder, which mm-hmm. sounds like, you know, step one. And then did you look at the people that you were delivering to with your backpack on your bicycle and build from there? Or did you kind of come at it, you know, did you know anything about CAC and ad spend? And was that even a thing back then? Like, or did you just sort of start it organically saying, okay, we're not going to waste any of our time and money on the wholesale piece. Mm -hmm. We're just going to focus on the people that are already buying it, get them to spread the word, figure out shipping Mm -hmm. and kind of take it from there. I mean, a little bit of all of those things. My perspective right. is always very much from that customer centric standpoint. 
And yes, we absolutely looked at our existing customers, but it wasn't, okay, let's try and get them to spread the word and have this grow in a grassroots manner. It was, this isn't unique to New York or unique to uh, the just, you know, fresh direct customer. This is a person, these are, these are like the providers of families everywhere. These are the people who care about their own health and care about the health of the people that they take care of. And that is universal. And that's an enormous opportunity. So we took those profiles, but we really were able to scale it by using digital acquisition tools to to reach people in areas outside of New York City. Which again is pretty, I mean, pretty early. I feel like now that's just like everyone does that, but I don't feel like everyone was doing that in 2014. Um, Yeah. You know, especially again with food. Right. Um, And fresh food for sure. Like fresh fresh food food being delivered nationwide was, and at that time there were no, uh, there weren't three PLs, right? Like third party logistics partners who specialized in direct to consumer. Those logistics partners worked for, you know, big box Costco and, you know, big travel accounts. So we had to really build on our own to, to fulfill in the beginning. Yeah. So, I mean, what were some of those key learnings? You know, I can picture the two of you being like, okay, we're done with that part. Now we're focusing on this direct to consumer piece and we have making the soup we have shipping the soup. <laughs> we have marketing the soup. Like, how did you break it down and figure out each thing? And were there any surprises early on or anything that you feel like just was like a wow, aha moment? Yeah. I mean, the thing, so your analogy of the sailboat and the environment, I think definitely mm-hmm. rings true here, right? Because there were all of these limiting factors for us. And one of the biggest limiting factors was access to capital. Um, You know, so we, I had been this very bootstrapped entrepreneur for the first few years and I'm still that way. I I really believe in having certain foundational elements of the business in place before scaling and growing. And so there's been this kind of like up and down with the business, which apparently is now called the camel philosophy instead of the unicorn philosophy and all things Corona related. What's Uh, it called? It's called like the camel growth philosophy versus the unicorn Uh sort of growth at all costs where there's more of an up and down with your growth pattern because as you grow and scale, um, you then hit, new needs to to get to profitability and so then you slow things down and you get to profitability and then you grow again and um that was a lot of our story it's funny you know I mean I'm gonna just relate it back to kids you know I'm sure you've had this experience too but when my kids started you know talking they stopped walking for a couple of days and then they figured their stuff out and their brain kind of like was like, oh, okay, got this. And then they were able to do both. Mm. I feel like every birthday, 
my kids have, there's a little bit of a regression. Probably mm. with grownups too. I feel like every time you're about to take a big step forward, your body or whatever it is needs this like, needs a moment to regroup and figure itself out before it's ready for the next thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess you can call it camel or whatever, but like, it seems to me like that's just people who think that things just go straight up Mm -hmm. again, like nothing in nature or the world or life has ever just gone straight up. Right. And if it has, it definitely comes crashing down. Yep. Like there's no example of just, you know, something that just moves up forever. And then, you know, not, not, not genuinely. So right. It makes sense to me. So going back to the access, you know, to capital thing, did you decide to, I mean, that is a huge, that's a very different business and you needed money. You needed money in a different way than you would just like doing POs for, for a fresh direct. So did you go raise money and. We raised some friends and family. Mm-hmm. and raised a little bit of angel. And this was all in kind of like dribs and drabs and different mm-hmm. little spurts. Um, and anytime the sort of investor community tried to put me in a box, maybe kind of the same way that I felt um, siloed. You're the better the- for you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would just kind of put my head down and work. Right. Because that was at the end of the day, like so much of why I love being an entrepreneur is that um, it's very satisfying. The process is really fulfilling. And so I felt privileged in that sense where I didn't need, yes, I wanted to ultimately help lots of people get healthier because I felt like eating more plant-based was a really simple solution that was just hard for lots of people to achieve. And I felt, I still feel like we have so much to offer with a simple solution that's really practical for busy lives. Um, But I also didn't feel like I was failing if I wasn't growing 3000% every year. Right. Right. Because you weren't put into, into that like hamster wheel. Right. And I think that's that point of, of like staying focused and um, being committed to my little sailboat and saying, okay, well, you know, we are really good at weathering storms and we might not be the fastest boat out there, but we, yeah, we know how to work really hard and we know how to be really efficient with the resources that we have. Yeah. And that also feels good. So let's just do that. And so I would do that and then the business would scale and then I'd go back out and raise a little bit more. And, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that yeah. has definitely been the story of Splendid Spoon. I mean, it sounds like it's been working, you know, I think that, um, and I think it's, you know, I've said this a lot, I start to sound like a broken record, I think, but there, I think whether, you know, founders like it or not, there's just going to be less of the, I have a great idea, here's a pretty package, I'm going to go raise blank millions of dollars for it, and then eventually it'll be profitable. Right. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's going to be, um, you know, the plan for the next several years and, uh, you know, arguably it, it really shouldn't be in a lot of ways. I mean, I agree with that. I I just think that that's also not how you gain trust, right? Like that's not how you build trust in any relationship 
is not yeah. like here's yeah. something really sleek looking and spend lots of time with it. But oh, we haven't spent a lot of time actually kicking like, the actually, tires. Yeah. 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 Um, and it, yeah, we've seen, we've certainly seen that play out with lots of businesses uh, even yeah. just before Corona. Um, yeah. Yes. I, I mean, I always think about the three little pigs cause I always, you know, my team knows like, I just want to build a brick house and I feel like there's tons of straw going on or there was, and they might get more attention and they might be sexier and they might be like, ha ha, look at the person toiling away on the brick house. But like, then the big bad wolf comes because the big bad wolf inevitably comes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I want to be, I want to be in something that doesn't get blown down. Um, I like my, I like my analogies today. (laughs) They're very like, I don't know, boats and houses. Um, well, I had an analogy when we, so when we started to, we really focused on profitability over the last year. Right. And the analogy that I used to give that I think is similar to the straw house is don't worry about painting the shutters if you have a leaky roof. Yeah. Or if there's a crack in the foundation. Like, yeah. It That's might a not great be one. the sexy part and the thing that people right. like immediately see, but it's certainly what gives you staying power and what makes that home like Strong. able to sustain. Yeah. yeah. No, that's so true. So you, so you figured it out um, and you guys grew. And so where are you now? What's the plan? You're still direct to consumer only. You still mm-hmm. haven't taken a ton of money in. Mm-hmm. You have a massive, I mean, I looked on your website, there are like 40 possible meals. That's yeah. a lot of ingredients. That's yeah. like a lot of supply chain <laughs> logistics management. Um, and I know this is like a lot of questions and one question, but it's interesting because you've said a bunch of times you don't like to be boxed in and you don't like to be like the better for you this or the healthier this or the frozen this. But I find, and I'm asking you, I guess, advice, like I can't tell you how many times the sauce like is out in the world and people are like, what do you do with it? Mm. What is it? And Mm -hmm, I'm like, mm -hmm. you squeeze it. It's sauce. (laughs) Like, but I don't know how to answer the question because I don't have a we're a better for you this or we're mm-hmm. a new version of this mm-hmm. because we're mm-hmm. something that we – I don't consider us the something of something else. Right. Um, so right. that was like 16 questions. But <laughs> where are you now? What's the plan? And how do you think about positioning, I guess, would be yeah. one, two, yeah. three. Um, so let's see. I mean – yeah, we have it's over 50 SKUs now. It is definitely complicated. Um, and I think one of the big uh, thing, decisions that I made early on that has helped is finding co-packers who want to be real partners. Right. Um, so that's just kind of like one anecdote that has has really paid off in spades for us. Yes. Um and I And think, when you say that do you mean that they that they actually have a percentage of ownership in the company or One of them li- does. Yeah, yeah, one of them actually did invest in the business. Right. Um so that's that's been huge. And I think that yeah. for us that's been a big part of our our focus on what I consider a very simple mission of 
creating healthier and happier families, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's what we do. It's by supporting families with everyday food choices that are super yummy and plant-based and convenient because more plant-based habits are the most important thing in creating a healthy life. Like it's, it's right. not that complicated. Um, right. But having enough variety and enough, um, you know, flavor choices to support mm-hmm. a growing audience is complicated. And, yeah. and so I think it's all about knowing what you want to focus on as a brand. And, and because we have focused on that much uh, sort of loftier um, brand mission, yeah. we've had to outsource a lot of the details. And I think right. that's, you know, like, that's why we're not just the better for you. We haven't had to focus all of our IP on being the better ketchup or the better right. green juice. It's, it's like, we can, we can have lots of different variety. We could possibly even work with different brands if we wanted to. Right. Um, and that's interesting because you've gone so, you've gone high up enough that like the, what fits under the tent is much more. Right. You know, and that, that's really, that's very cool. That's actually really good advice. Um, you know, people have come to me asking for advice and I've always been like, don't say you're like, we are not a sauce company. Right. Right. Like we're not, because we're much more than that. Right. Right. We're a home cooking company. Yeah. And you know, the, the tighter that you make it, the, the harder it is to sort of expand, but also you do need to establish that brand identity and the trust with the people that love you so that you can offer them more things and it doesn't feel like you're letting the boat fly all over the place. That's kind right. of going back to like, it's all under the same umbrella. We've created the umbrella. It's just a broad, it's a broad sort of mission. Um, and so that being said, so you have... 50 SKUs you sell directly to people in 50 states. Is it primarily subscription? It is primarily subscription. So, I mean, you can cancel anytime, but mm-hmm. the yeah, the way that it's set up is you come to Splendid Spoon and you decide if you want just uh, lunch or breakfast and lunch, or we have a reset product as well. Because so many of our customers want to kickstart these healthy habits yeah, and for various health reasons. And, and that's, we're kind of wherever you are in your journey, we're like day one for you. Um, right. Even if that means that you're coming, you're hopping off and on maybe the plant-based wagon or you're not plant-based at all. You just want to have really yummy. For lunch, right? Yeah. You want to have a <laughs> yummy soup right. for lunch. That's also yeah. good for you. Yeah. Does the, um, and does it get to consumers frozen? Like, is it, is it, or do you send it frozen and it thaws in shipping? Um, both. So the, both. the bowls are frozen at the manufacturer right. and they're kept frozen as we're packing them. Um, we ship them out in boxes with dry ice. So that's like a mini refrigerator and the dry ice is right. pretty much entirely evaporated by the time it gets to you. And the smoothies are kept fresh though. We've just found that the quality is so much yeah, better. Yeah, that's so fresh. hard. I mean, I'm yeah. trying to ship fresh sauce, and it's like the shipping is so crazy expensive. It's just, I just that's why yeah. I guess the subscription is is helpful. 
Yeah. And having people come to you for like all parts of the day meal solutions as opposed to like I'm going to invest in like a case of sauce and pay, you know, uh, whatever it is. Yeah, lot. and I think also <laughs> we've also trusted along the way that our customers, because they are, there is kind of just people buying food, people want variety and they want variety beyond even just Splendid Spoon. Yes, we have right. our like hardcore customers who would like to eat Splendid Spoon for every meal and snack of the day. But most of us want lots of variety. And I think right. we've leaned on that as actually a strength with our customers versus something mm-hmm. to be afraid of, where we've taken the time to focus just on lunch bowls. And then when we've been ready to invest or scale um, because we've got this loyal following of, of lunch eaters, then we introduced breakfast and right. smoothies. And you yep. know, we've done that with each format iteration so that Mm -hmm. we're bringing product that is actually valuable to the customer's life versus just, Hey, we want you to spend as much as possible on that first order. And here's a bunch of stuff that looks really good, but maybe we haven't taken the time to test and actually tastes good or does what we, what you want it to. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, okay. Last question. What do you wish you had known, you know, um, we didn't actually get to sort of your personal story, um, but I do think, you know, I, I guess, sorry, Matt, one question and then the last question. You have been very open about your personal story. I tend to be more open than um, I'm always comfortable with, I think, a little bit. I don't know exactly how much to share. I do think people want to know who the people are behind their food products especially the female founders, there's something there. I'm not sure exactly what. Um, but do you have any words of wisdom around that? Or um, do you feel like it's just important for you to be open and vulnerable? Or you know, what are your thoughts about sort of how personal you get about what's going on in your life? I think why I share my personal story it comes down to my own reflection on being a female founder and and starting out that entrepreneurial journey in the, those very very early days where um, women are asked constantly like to choose between their family and their career mm-hmm. um, either Still. outright <laughs> they're asked or subtly mm-hmm. um, through the way that our culture is designed we are asked to make that choice. And I was very determined very early on. It was one of the reasons that I became an entrepreneur, not to force myself to make that decision, to to create my own blueprint for a life that included family, that included kids, um, and included a really rich and challenging career path. I wanted both. And um, even though it it sort of irritated me that people didn't ask men the same questions. (laughs) Right. I felt like the benefit of other women hearing my story outweighed that sort of like personal agitation (laughs) of that, that inequity. Um, And so that's why I share, I feel the same way. I mean, it's not, it's not comfortable. It's, you know, as whenever we get to that point in the interview, I'm like, kind of holding, I find myself like, you know, holding yeah, my breath seizing a little bit. Yeah. It's, it was really hard, you know, like yeah. choosing to 
get divorced, when I had two really young kids, when I hadn't figured out financial stability for myself, I had like kind of just figured it out with the business. I was really living hand to mouth um, without the help of my spouse. And I, you know, that was really scary. I mean, I had, yeah, before the breakup, I was really kind of mentally mapping out and preparing myself for moving back home with my parents or yeah, like living in a, an apartment with roommates. You know, I was just kind yeah. of mapping out lots of different scenarios. And, um, it's interesting because, you know, you had asked also, like, what do you wish you had known? And yeah. my answer there applies to both personal and professional, that your internal compass is correct. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. And yeah. it, it's sometimes it shows you going through a storm, going through something that you know will be difficult and painful, but you will get through it. And the more you trust yourself, the more, not only the more you learn and there are all these silver linings, et cetera, et cetera, but it also becomes really efficient, (laughs) you know, like it's just like, it just, I know it, it does. It cuts through so much nonsense. I mean, I think that's, that's a great way to end, you know, because it really is true. And especially in times like these where, funding is uncertain, consumer behavior is uncertain. You might have been thinking about starting something and now you're not sure. All of these things, like everything, it's like going back to the storm, right? All of the stuff that's been kind of sedentary at the bottom is now getting just like churned up. And we're all trying to figure out, even the people that look like they have it so together, everyone's trying to figure out like what the hell is going on. And we all kind of collectively just got like hurled into something. Um, and some of us, obviously, that's more metaphorical. And some of it, you know, us are really faced with like horror. Um, but from a business perspective, don't let, don't let circumstances change what your gut is telling you. You know, definitely open up to other possibilities don't hold on too tight to that sale. But I think you're right. You know, like if there was an investor who you didn't think would be a great investor for you before, they're not going to be a better investor for you now just because there's a pandemic. Yep. And, definitely. you know, we all have to just, you know, things will work out. We will get through it um, because it's the journey, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nicole, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. And I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork.
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.